Good evening and welcome uh, to St. Philip the Deacon and the third of our five uh, Faith and Life lectures for this year's season. I'm glad you all came out. Thanks for being with us. I always like to ask, just out of curiosity, how many of you have never been to a Faith and Life event before? Okay, good. Well, welcome. A special welcome to you. We're glad you're here. This is the 12th season of the Faith and Life Lectures, which means that tonight's speaker is our 58th speaker, which is hard to believe. Um, and I was just chatting with someone about the series this past week, and he made the maybe obvious but uh, important point that faith and life is a pretty broad umbrella. And so if you've been here before, you know we have indeed cast a broad net in terms of the kinds of speakers we bring in. We have had doctors and lawyers and journalists and professors and authors. And we've tried really hard to get a variety of voices of people who are Christians but doing different things in the world and who are willing to come in and talk a little bit about their faith and how it connects to how they engage the world. And tonight we're very pleased to have um, a musician, a drummer, and uh, I always like to ask our speakers for sort of quirky facts about them beyond what you read in their biography. He did have a couple. Uh, in his biography, you'll, you'll notice he's played for things like Go Fish um, and currently is playing for Sarah Bareilles uh, touring around the world. I didn't ask when your next tour is. Is it coming up sometime? It's not scheduled. No. It's not scheduled, but be on the lookout for that at Sarah's website. Uh, but I did ask him uh, other things to, that I might, we might want to know about him, and he mentioned an important fact about drummers, which is that if you make your living drumming, you have to avoid certain pastimes like uh, snowboarding because you might break your wrist. So instead, he loves to play frisbee golf, or disc golf, I guess it's called, and he also let me know that he's been married to his lovely wife for now 12 years, going on 13. We are delighted to have him with us tonight. Will you help welcome Steve Gould? Hi. <laughs> I cannot believe that this many people sh have shown up to hear me talk. Because <laughs> that's not what I'm usually doing. In fact, I think I'm just going to go ahead and sit down right here because I'm a little more comfortable. If, if there's a stage and I'm on it, it I'm usually behind a set of, drum sets, uh, set of drums, so I've got a little bit of a comfort blanket here between me and you. <laughs> um, I'm thrilled to be doing this. I feel a little anxious about it, a little nervous, but I'm really happy. And I, um, I'm very honored. Pastor Tim, thank you for your invitation and for trusting me with a situation like this. Uh, before I go any further, I want to pray. I don't know if that's standard ops for these lecture series, but I'm the one with the microphone, so I'm just going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Bow with me. Father in heaven, thank you for who you are. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your patience with us, your many blessings to us. Um, Lord, thank you for right now, all of us gathered here. I pray that you would be here, that your spirit would um, be present in what I'm saying, that it would be worth saying. And then um, in how it's, how it's heard, Lord, I pray that it would mean something for your kingdom and for your glory and uh, in making 
all of us here more like Christ. If, that's, if that can happen tonight, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that it would. Amen. Um, I'm going to perform a drum solo, <laughs> which, is, which is funny because I don't do that very often, but uh, that's all I'm going to say about it, and then, and then I'll talk some more. Thanks. Um, okay, so in that setting, you're supposed to applaud because clearly I'm done. And hopefully you enjoyed it. But the reason I'm doing that is I want to, I guess, just demonstrate that the drums are, I think at the very least, inherently interesting to most anyone. So regardless of whether or not you're a drummer, young, old, whatever your experience is in life, somebody starts playing the drums and everybody kind of watches and and it's cool to watch. And I, what I was just doing as a drum solo, I was doing specific things that, for the most part, probably aren't going to make you want to dance. Right? Everything that I was doing had um, maybe some flash to it, like I said, inherently interesting. Probably not um, something that you would really remember or be able to hum to yourself or anything like that. I think of that kind of a drum solo, that kind of thing that I would do with drums, I think of it as, as a bit of a clown show, almost, like a juggling act, or something that's pretty cool, but maybe not that compelling. Uh, I'm telling you this because I, I figured I would start today by giving you a little bit of an informal drum lesson, just to give you a glimpse to what my life is like as a professional drummer, okay? I don't get hired to do the clown show. That's kind of cool, but that's not why anybody wants to give me a paycheck. And because that's not really what I... It's, I don't think that's what human beings really like about art. Um, or even life in general. Just go through life and watching a bunch of clown shows, that, that gets boring. We want to be touched. Uh, impacted somehow. Art does that in incredibly, incredibly powerful ways, to me especially. 
I'm such a fan of music because of the way it hits me. And I want to say that the contribution of the drum set historically to the music world, to the art form of music, is primarily not the clown show, but rather, I'm going to use the term groove, okay? The word groove describes that thing my man Elijah in the front row is smiling. This is a drum student of mine, and I was just talking to him about this at his lesson a few weeks ago. Um, groove is the thing that, the, the word that I use to describe the thing that's making you want to dance, if I were to do something like that. For example, at no point in that drum solo did I play anything like that. If I do that, again, young, old, male, female, music fan or non-music fan, there's this magnetism to kind of start doing this. And, and maybe if you're Scandinavian, Lutheran, you're, you're going to just tap your toe. As a, but it's going to happen, be, and, and that's what I'm going to call the primary, like historically speaking, that's, that's the contribution of the drum set to the music world. I can play a rhythm... or something like that. But people were doing that before this instrument was invented. And when this instrument came along, it was used for something like this. And you can, you can immediately feel how that wants to make you move, maybe differently than the thing that I played earlier. Um, I'm going to cycle through a few familiar ones, okay? How about this one? Um. 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 Okay, so as I'm doing those, you're probably thinking of maybe different styles of music, different even um, emotional characteristics, right? Some of those feel, I don't know, different levels of happy, different levels of peppy, and that's basically what I get hired to do, okay? So I want you to remember that term clown show as, as part of your drum lesson here. And then remember this term, groove machine. Not groove machine like I'm giving myself a compliment, like, man, that dude is a groove machine. But <laughs> more like, like a machine that's got these different buttons you press and it outcomes jazz or outcomes blues or something like that. That's my job as the drummer. I get, I get hired by a singer, songwriter. They want to play a song for their audience and they want the contribution of that thing that makes everybody do this. But it's got to be the right one. Because, let's say, for example, a church service. If we're playing Holy is the Lord by Chris Tomlin, Holy is the Lord. That's, that's the groove. If I were to launch into this instead, which is not like a bad or dumb groove, but it's not the right one. 
for holy is the Lord. Um, so I get hired to determine what the, right, what the right groove should be and then to play it. And uh, even the, the nuance of playing it, I think church services are a great example because worship music is intrinsically not a performance, at least it's not supposed to be, as much as it is a vehicle. All of us as followers of Christ, when we gather together on Sunday morning and we want to proclaim truths about God together, truths that we think are important enough that we would even sing them to help us remember them and remind ourselves of that. When I'm playing in that kind of environment, I definitely don't want to do the wrong thing with the drums because it's going to distract everybody. So check out even the difference between this and this. That second one, to me, feels more powerful and is maybe too much for, for this part of this song. But it's just right for this part of this other song. It's the same groove. It's not like I was toggling between jazz and rock there or something. But, boy, that's my, that's my to-do list. That's my job description as professional drummers. Figure out what kind of groove, down to these nuances. I also have to make sure, this is the last part of the drum lesson, okay? I have to make sure that my timing and my precision is there. Listen to this one. How does that make you feel? <laughs> um, the, the difference between this and what I played before that isn't something that you could notate on a sheet of music. It's just the essence of precision and timing. Which again, that's what I'm hired to do. So I can, I can have somebody else make all the right decisions for me on what grooves to play and when to play them, what nuances to use and how to use those, but my timing, my precision has to be something that the artist wants to pay for. <laughs> so that's my life, as a, at my vocation, I mean. My, that's, that's what I do for a living, is I, I play drums with whoever wants me to, and I have to do it the way they want me to. And sometimes they don't even know how to tell me that. Sometimes they're not even sure what they want for their song, so I've got to listen to their song and I've got to pull from my experiences with this instrument and my history of learning it. I'm doing that a lot at church. When I play at my, at my church, I go to New Hope Church. It used to be called Crystal Free Church. My dad was the pastor there for many years. So that's where I come from a little bit. I'll talk more about that in a second. I, <laughs> I can look out and see a bunch of faces from the New Hope family, and I'm really touched that you guys are here. Thank you for coming. I also want to mention really quick, my high school band director is here, Don Krupsack, who, that's, I didn't know he was going to come tonight. I see you sitting there, man. It's pretty cool. Good to see you again. <laughs> um, an important link in the chain for me. Okay, so uh, I guess I... I want to say that I feel so lucky, so fortunate, so grateful to be able to do this for a living because I love it so much. I never even 
thought that I would be a professional musician. I didn't really know that being a professional musician was a thing. Like when I was 11, almost 12, when I started playing drums, there was an immediate, oh man, this is my favorite thing ever. Skateboarding, I thought skateboarding was fun until I found drums, and drums are fun in a totally different way. And they just called to me, and I, it was an itch that I could not scratch enough. My parents were super supportive about it. Obviously, we all know the instrument's natural volume levels. <laughs> and my parents never, never really even commented on that. My mom would say things like, maybe you shouldn't play after 9 p.m., But then my dad would come downstairs while I was practicing and just sit on the counter and just listen to me for like half an hour. I, he'd come down, and I'd be like, I'd stop. Hey, hey dad, what's up? He's like, oh, I just want to listen to you. And that, that uh, did a lot for me in terms of my confidence. And uh, went through my high school years. Um, Mr. Krupsack had a, a jazz quintet that came in to play for our school and, and do a, like a clinic for our jazz band, which I was a part of, and man, that just blew my mind open all over again. The, finding the drums at age 12, learning how to play drums, liking music, it was all rock and roll based, and then I saw a, a jazz band play, and then the way, that the way this instrument is used in jazz, and the, just the complexity of jazz itself, I just couldn't get enough of it. And... Um, I'm going to move into a little bit of my personal testimony here. I, at that time, being a, the son of a pastor and being a, maybe I'd, I would call myself, my wife would probably agree with, agree with me here, like a natural deep thinker, I guess. I'm, I'm asking myself questions about the nature of existence all the time. I don't even really want to. They just The questions are there and I'm trying to figure them out. My dad's a pastor and telling me this is, this is how the Bible says life is. And I'm saying, oh, okay, well, I have a question about this or this. And a lot of the questions were, I think, uh, problematic for me. The, the fact that I had these questions, and my dad was, he, he was patient with me, but not really able to answer them. All the while, I am being pulled more and more by this instrument and by music itself. That, that, was, that was my identity. I was a drummer. Even though I had, at Awana, prayed to receive Jesus as my Savior, if you want to use that terminology, right? That's, that's a very canned phrase. I asked Jesus to be my Savior. I prayed that prayer when I was four, and then I found the drums, and that, this is kind of what mattered to me. <laughs> um, especially in light of the questions. And so anyway, I, I, I'm 18 in 1998, I'm graduating high school. I'm going, going to go to college. I decided to go to Bethel. It's local, evangelical kids went to Bethel. And I, just, I didn't have any more of a reason to go than that. And I went to Bethel. I started studying communications. So that seemed like a good degree to have. But I didn't know what I wanted to do for a living. And I, I just kept playing the drums. By the time I graduated from Bethel, I was already essentially a professional drummer. People were paying me to teach their kids how to, how to play drums. People were paying me to play drums for them at their church or for their youth group or for them at a bar or whatever. And 
my life was fully just drummer. Something happened to me, though, at Bethel. Um, I decided that I wasn't going to major in communications because that was really boring, and I didn't care about it at all. And as a result, I was getting pretty bad grades. And my dad's like, you can't keep this up. Um, I see here that you got an A in your theology class, your intro theology. What's that about? It's like, oh, I thought that class was really fun. I really liked talking about those things. Why don't you major in, in theology, Steve? I'm like, yeah, Dad, we've already talked about this. I'm not going to be a pastor like you. <laughs> no, you don't have to be a pastor. I'm, you just got to get better grades than you're getting. <laughs> and, and maybe if you're interested in it, it'll be of more value to you. That was a really great suggestion because it was interesting to me and, and college became something that wasn't a chore. You know, writing papers for my theology classes was, was fun for me. Um, it challenged me and, and I, you know, that part of me that wants to think deeply, I suddenly had an outlet for that. I also opened God's word every day which you have to do in a theology class or in a Bible class. And then I, I opened God's Word when I got home because you have to do that for homework for theology and Bible classes. And God's Word, it says of itself, is powerful, living, active, able to pierce things like idolatrous relationships with the drum set. I'm serious. I mean, like, I... This was the only thing that I cared about. And it was, God's word um, bypassed that in a way that my dad's answers to my questions never did. And I had an experience, um, I was actually fasting. Okay, check this out. I'm kind of not too concerned about being Christian, but somehow also taking Bible classes and deciding if I want to get married and thinking that the way to really determine if this woman is the one I should ask to marry, is to fast. Because that's how, I mean, that's how steeped in the, the evangelical tradition I was, my dad being a pastor, and, well, I, I've got a big decision, I should probably fast about it. And here I am, like three days not eating, trying to decide if Kristen, who is my wife now of almost 13 years, if, if, if I should bother saving up money for a ring for her or just like buy a new symbol. <laughs> that, was my, that was my fasting topic. And um, I felt the voice of the Lord in, in a way that I had never felt before. And everything about it left me changed in the, in the way that I see the scriptures talk about being born again. Regeneration, new birth, I don't want to get into a theological discussion about whether or not that happened when I was in Awana at age four or whether or not that happened when I was 21 at Bethel. But I can tell you that I felt at age 21 those things for the first time. And it made sense to me from that point on what people meant when they said born again. And that um, has influenced the direction of my life ever since. Not because I'm suddenly now a pastor, see, because I'm still a drummer, and I ended up being a professional drummer. But what it did was it couched all of my thinking 
It framed my intentions to actually be concerned about what God is doing in the world, God's kingdom. I, I, thought, of, I thought of Jesus Christ as someone that I love so much. Um, because of being forgiven. So, the weight of that, realizing that at age 21, okay, the drums are still cool to me, and they have become cooler every day since. But it's, it's now not the most important thing in the world. Which basically has become, I think, my working definition for what it means to be a Christian. As opposed to, you're a Christian if you believe this and this and this and this. I'm not saying a doctrine doesn't matter to me. But Jesus and my forgiveness and God's kingdom being the things that I think about the most, the things that I put the most important to, the most importance to, the things that I give the most of my energy and effort and thought and intentions, that feels like the way that I, it's the way my mind wraps around what it means to, to call myself a Christian. And, and then, guess what? I'm still a drummer. So I've kind of just had a, a 12-year journey of figuring out what that means. It was, it was a pretty big deal to graduate from college, not because I felt like I'd accomplished anything significant with my schooling, but rather because it was the first time that I didn't have anything to do in life, inherently. Right? When, you, when you're a student and you're a student, I mean, you guys all know what I'm talking about. When you're a student, everything that you can remember is student, student, this is, I gotta do homework, I got a test coming up, and now like, all of that is over. Now what do I do? Make money. I mean, I, that, I couldn't think of anything else except I've got this voice for the first time. Right, I mean, it's right about the same time period for me. Coming to the realization that God's kingdom is, is what I really care about. Um, that happening at the same time that I graduated, I thought, well, making money is important. People keep paying me to play this, this instrument, so I guess I'm going to keep doing that because that's really fun. I could probably make, let's be honest, uh, I want to uh, disband any rumors or any presuppositions you might have. A freelance musician, somebody like myself who gets hired by different people to play different kinds of music, we don't make very much money. <laughs> it's not uh, the glamorous thing that people associate with. I mean, I, I play with artists that are in big scenarios where there's lots of ticket buyers and I, I'm not the person that's making that money. It doesn't mean I don't enjoy the experience and that I don't wish, that I, you know, I'm not like resentful of any of that. All I'm saying is like, if I wanted to make money, man, I would do something else. <laughs> um, so I get, I get out of college. I'm like, what do I do with myself? Right at that same time, I had my friend Jason Harms. Some of you might know who he is. Uh, Jason and the G-Men, he's kind of a Frank Sinatra style singer. He's really great. He started hiring me to play in his band. I'm working for lots of different people, but whenever I work for Jason, we've got some time in the van to drive 
to wherever the gig is. Maybe it's in Green Bay or maybe it's in um, North Carolina or whatever. And we're talking, and he's, he kind of starts discipling me without me asking him to, helping me along this path of figuring out what it means to actually prize Jesus the most, to care about God's kingdom first. And Jason taught me a lot. Um, the Lord taught me a lot through Jason. And that experience of performing, okay, it, it's an inherently... This moment right now, you guys are all looking at me. This, I, I'm tempted to think that I'm a big deal. <laughs> when, when I'm in this situation, I was telling... Tim over there, uh, before Pastor Tim, before we started this, I, I said, I'm really surprised how many people came. He's like, you've played for more people than this before. I'm like, yeah, but they don't, they don't bill that as Steve Gould talking. <laughs> like when, if if 7,000 people show up for a Sarah Bareilles concert, it's because they promoted it as a Sarah Bareilles concert. And, and, but it still, it still makes me feel, um, you know, being in that position makes me feel pretty good about myself. And, and then the kingdom of God is there. The, the scriptures are there saying that's not the point of life. That's not, that might be the game that some people are playing. That's not the game that a follower of Jesus is playing. I get somebody who emails me and says, man, I saw some of your YouTube videos and you are a really great drummer. I'd love to take lessons from you. At that moment, I'm like, well, I am a pretty good drummer, I guess. I'm tempted to think that. I mean, I've got that option Think about that and let that drive my decision-making. And then the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit is there saying, no, that's not the game you're playing, though. Even out of college, what, what should I do with myself? Make a lot of money? Like the, the culture that we live in? Yeah, do that. But that's not the game. So I'm, I'm only 34. I don't think I have any answers that are going to... Well, I'm interested to, to hear what I think about life's big questions when I'm 60, for example. But at 34, spending some time in the professional music world, asking myself, what game am I actually playing here? And trying to answer those questions as best I can from God's word, from discipleship that I get from friends of mine, lessons that I learned from my wife and my children. Um, I've got... Uh, a couple things that I, a couple points that I want to make in regard to that, okay? So, mini drum lesson, a little bit of Steve's testimony leading to, here's just a few of my just personal observations about what it means to, what, what the game is that we're playing as followers of Jesus and how that applies to me in a um, professional music situation. I live with the people that I tour with. Okay, if, we, if I go on a tour, Pastor Tim was asking when the next tour is. We don't have anything booked. But I will, like this next week, I'm going to go to Chicago for a couple of days with a Christian artist named Sarah Groves. Do you guys know who Sarah Groves is? She's great. If you've never checked out her music, you really should. And when we do that, we're together. Me, the bass player, Aaron, the sound guy, Weston, Sarah, maybe somebody else might come with us. We're together for the whole time in the airport, on the airplane, get to the venue, do the sound check, sit backstage, get done with the show, 
go have dinner. And then the next morning, we're right back to it. If I'm on a tour bus, we don't even get, you know, separate hotel rooms in that situation, right? I'm, I'm just, we all get into our bunks at the end of the night and, and go to bed while the bus drives to the next place that we're going to play. I'm spending a lot of time with these people. And it doesn't really work for us to get into, I want to be really careful how I say this, it doesn't really work for us to get into heated discussions about heated topics. I have seen, in my situation, the relationship aspect of me and another person isn't helped by an argument or a debate. I'm tempted to play that game, and I'm not saying that's even a bad game, but when I'm asking myself, what's the game that I'm playing? And somebody says, well, I think this about this topic. And I think to myself, I bet you think that because you're not a follower of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. I think something different about that. Maybe I will try to prove my point to you in a debate right now. I've done that a couple times and it hasn't worked very well. And strangely, I feel like I've got really great debate points. And still, still the debate doesn't work very well. In the end, it doesn't seem to produce fruit. Rather, my presence the aroma of Christ, as the New Testament calls it, that I could bring to the situation. I really trust... I put a lot of stock in Jesus saying, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Jesus is saying, I'm the reigning power in the world. Therefore, go make disciples. Or at least when I read that, I, th- I think, I bet I'm not going to get, um, I bet if, if I'm bringing the, the presence of Christ into the situation, if I'm bringing the love and forgiveness that Jesus represents, if I'm bringing that, I think it can't be overpowered by something else. At least in some sort of cosmic spiritual sense. So I'm going to just see if I can bring that as often as possible. That game, for me, especially in the situation where I'm living with these folks, this isn't a random person on the street that I don't know. This is someone that I know very well. Um, even, even if they're Christians, we can get into some... Even if, they, if they're saying, I'm a follower of Jesus too, I'm like, me too. And it, it turns out that doesn't stop us from getting into heated discussions. If, if that's what I want to do. Um, my, the guy that I mentioned, Jason Harms, and all of the discipling that he did for me, with me, he was just so loving about it. He demonstrated Christ-likeness without winning the discussion. Okay, so that's the first thing that I've... Um, come to realize the game that I'm playing isn't a debate that I'm trying to win, but a presence and an aroma that I'm trying to bring. Okay, secondly, the game is testifying of what Jesus' impact on my life has done to me. 
I'm a different person. I feel it than when I was in high school. The way I handle anger, the way I handle stress, a lot, just a lot of, if, if I look at myself, I can so feel the difference, and I would love to tell you about that. If we have a conversation for, for long enough, I'm probably going to, because I've realized that that's a really productive game. That's a really a- productive aspect of, of what I'm trying to, what I'm thinking a follower of Jesus should be doing in life. So maybe I don't want to have a debate with you, but I definitely want to tell you what following Jesus has produced in my life and what, how that's felt. Uh, moving kind of quick here. Uh, the third thing that I find myself wanting to do, find myself realizing is important, is submitting to what I, what I hear the Holy Spirit telling me, which is... Boy, that's kind of a um, wishy-washy thing because the Holy Spirit might be telling me something that I can't prove to you that he's telling me. But I feel it. Hey, go talk to that person. Well, I kind of don't want to right now. I'm kind of tired. No, no, you should, though. Um, hey, maybe don't respond right now. You're angry. Wait a second. Hey, you, uh, you should probably deal with your daughter uh, differently than you have been regarding this topic. Hey, I know you're, you're stressed out, but you should probably stop worrying. I can feel the Holy Spirit talking to me a lot if I'm looking for it. And I can feel how much I naturally don't want to listen. Learning how to hear the Holy Spirit talking to me and telling me to do something and learning how to follow that is another dimension of the game that I'm trying to play. Um, The last thing is kind of related to that. It's regarding what the Bible says happens in us when we submit to the Holy Spirit. Or this is what I've noticed, at least. This goes back to the first thing I mentioned about being the aroma of Christ. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, that list the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Or at least I'm, as I read it lately, I've kind of been hit by that. This is what the Holy Spirit's presence in my life brings. Things that I don't normally have. I don't normally have patience. I don't normally have joy. I don't normally have kindness. And here, here's the Holy Spirit bringing those things to bear in me in a way that I can't really produce on my own. As I submit, learn to submit to the way the Holy Spirit is talking to me and the way the Holy Spirit is leading me, these, these fruits end up becoming evident to others. Or at least they're, they're evident to me. I think to myself, like, whoa, why am I so patient right now? I'm not usually this kind. And I can, man, I know who to thank for that. So these are points that I'm making regarding just 
I'm trying to figure out what game to play because I sincerely want to follow Jesus. Since realizing the depth of my forgiveness, of how much I've been forgiven, since in college realizing the significance of what it means to be born again, I want to play whatever game that person who is responsible for that is doing. And Christ says, I'm the one that's responsible for your salvation. And in the New Testament, Old Testament, we've got some indication on what God's kingdom is about. I remember in college, we had a class about God's kingdom as being something that the New Testament talks about quite a bit. This professor was couching the whole, was framing the whole class in the topic of the kingdom of God. I'm saying, look at how often Jesus is talking about this. Look at how many metaphors he's using to describe the kingdom of God. It was right around the time that I had my, like I, like I mentioned, kind of a conversion experience, I guess. And boy, that's, that's the game that I want to play. And for a little while, I thought, drums, um, do they belong in that game? Maybe only if I play with a Christian artist like Sarah Groves. And the longer that I am a professional drummer, the more I see those, those things that I mentioned of trying to be the aroma of Christ, trying to submit to the Holy Spirit, testifying as often as I can of what Christ has done for me, and then exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit in my life. I can do that anywhere. I, I can do that with a bar band. Now, if I was a recovering alcoholic, maybe that wouldn't be a good idea, but as I'm at, these, at this point getting invited to play at somebody's wedding reception and the band is playing like top 40 music instead of Christian music, I still feel like I can go be, I, I can go exhibit the fruits of the Spirit there. I still, feel like, I, I still feel like I can play every dimension of the game that I want to play, that I'm learning about. I hope you don't hear me saying that this is the way everybody should do it. Everybody who's following Jesus should, should be paying attention to what I'm saying right now. I'm telling you what I've experienced, and I'm, I'm, still, I'm still trying to figure it out. Uh, one of my best friends is here tonight and he and I try to figure it out together all the time. I'll, that's one of my favorite things to do, try to figure it out. I'm still trying to do that. Um, had a little bit of resistance in my spirit, maybe internally from some voices, when it came time to play music with secular artists on really big stages, on TV, Here's a secular artist whose message isn't about following Jesus. Should I be seen with them on camera? I thought about it a lot. And I answered the question thinking, I, I, I can still play every aspect of the game that I'm learning is important, even if I'm seen on camera with a secular artist. So that's where I'm at with that. I am excited to continue to play more music because I just love it. 
I'm more excited to continue to live life and meet people and find ways to testify to them of what Jesus has done, find ways to be the aroma of Christ to them. I'm excited for the Lord to continue to teach me how to submit to the Holy Spirit. And I'm excited for my wife and my kids and those who know me to experience more fruits of the Spirit from me when they hang out with me. Um, Pastor Tim was saying that he wanted to do some, some Q&A about this, and maybe now is the right time. Not quite. Not quite. <laughs> do you want me to play another drum solo? <laughs> yeah, you know, so we will do a Q&A in a couple minutes. Before that, I'm going to have a couple announcements I want to make, but before I do that, why don't you play a little more? You want to do that? Yeah, sure. All right. Sure. Okay, so here's, how about this? Um, I'm going to play a drum solo like I want to play one, which is a little different than the one I was doing earlier because I was trying to be flashy and not, not grooving. So now I'm going to try to do the, the groove version of it. How about that? Thank you. Absolutely. All right, you can rest your voice for a couple minutes. You can think about questions you might want to ask Steve, and I'm sure he's happy to play a little more if you'd like him to do that. Um, you can come up to either of these mics in a minute. Just a few uh, announcements before we do the Q&A, though. First of all, uh, I want to mention our next event, <clears throat> which is on Thursday, March 12th, featuring an author named Jay Warner Wallace who's uh, written a book called Cold Case Christianity. Has anyone read that here by any chance? Okay, if you have not read it, it's a quick read. Um, first of all, I'd encourage you to come to that event, but read the book before it. It's a really fascinating book, and I think you'll enjoy listening to him. Um, I will also mention, and this is on the lower right of your uh, program tonight, on the inside, 
Um, we're doing sort of a, uh, and this is a perfect night to, to talk about it, we're doing our first ever sort of brand extension event for Faith and Life with a free concert by a group called the Sweeplings, who are out of Nashville, I think. Uh, Pete Anderson, are you here tonight somewhere or not? Where are you? Oh, Pete, okay. Talk to Pete following tonight's event if you'd like to know more about the Sweeplings, but it should be a wonderful event, and again, it's free. So, you can't go wrong. And that is on Jan uh, February 13th, 7 o'clock here. The other event, by the way, this is an insight into the life of a professional drummer. If you want to hear Steve play some more tonight, he actually has a gig after this. What time yeah, is it? Where is it again? It's in northeast Minneapolis, in Minneapolis at a brewery tap room called Bauhaus Brew Labs. Okay. We're supposed to start at 8. And You're going to be late. <laughs> yep. <Yeah, the> <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fine, though. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so those are some upcoming events. Um, as always at these events... Oh, and if, by the way, if you are not on our mailing list, you can give us your email on this green sheet, which you can leave in baskets uh, in the narthex. You can sign up for our email newsletter on the Faith and Life website. You can also like us on Facebook. All of those are easy ways for us to communicate upcoming events uh, to you. Uh, I mentioned at the in introduction, this is the 12th year of the series. This series, from the beginning, has always been supported 100% entirely by gifts uh, from individuals and organizations, locally corporations. So I always think it's um, not only appropriate, but important to say thank you to those organizations and individuals. They're listed uh, in your program, uh, again, on the inside right. And I'll, I'll mention our corporate sponsors, Thrivent Financial, Productivity, Cressa, TCF Bank, Rapid Packaging, Mastercraft, uh, Luther Seminary, Seminary, the McLaurin uh, Institute at the University of Minnesota, and Sparky Abrasives, as well as Fuzzy Duck, and St. Philip Deacon and Mount Olivet, which present jointly this series. And then you see all of the individuals who support the series financially. It's through those gifts that we're able to bring wonderful speakers, thoughtful speakers like Steve, regularly throughout the year. So uh, will you thank those individuals, many of whom are here tonight? And one final thing, if you will uh, indulge me for a moment before we get to the Q&A. The question that I'm asked probably more than any other question uh, related to these series events is, where do you find these speakers? And there's not always a good story uh, to the answer to that question, but in tonight's case, there is. Um, and Amy, I don't, do you mind if I share this story that you, uh, my wife is sitting here? Our, our oldest son, Luke, is a drummer. In fifth grade, I think he, he played the set for some event uh, at a local elementary school, and the guy who was helping to produce that said to my lovely wife, Amy, you know, you should really consider getting him lessons. He's got some talents. To which my wife said, it's drums. <laughs> you don't need to take lessons <laughs> or something like that. And uh, this guy said, no, really, he might actually have some talent. You should probably find a teacher. And Amy's response to that was, okay, if you can find, it's interesting you keep bringing up this word aroma tonight, Steve, if you can find uh, an accomplished drummer who I would respect, I'll consider it. And so for the last, I don't know, five or six years, our oldest son, Luke, has been studying with Steve, who has taught him not only wonderful things about this instrument, uh, but also about what it means to be a loving Christian human being. And so that's 
how we've gotten to know Steve, and it's my son Luke, who's sitting over here as well, who more than a few times over the last few years, I mean, again, this has been going on 12 years, this series, he said to me more than a few times, you know, Dad, I really think Steve would be good at a faith and life event. And initially I said, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and then he came back from one of these uh, events that Steve does, the Drum Set in the Kingdom, which is co-sponsored, by the way, by Risen Drums, and Keith Anderson is the founder of that right there. Keith, wave your hand. Um, he came back from one of these events, and he said, seriously, Dad, I think he'd be really good. And meanwhile, I'm watching Luke grow and realizing he's not going to be around a lot longer because he's going to go to college. So if we're going to do this while he can be around to hear it, we better get on it. And so if you liked what Steve had to say, you can thank my son Luke after tonight's event, who is sitting right there. Okay, questions, not for me. If there are questions, please find a mic, and uh, we'll take, uh, I don't know, we'll go for 10, 15 minutes, something like that. Oh, sorry, the mics are a little high there, Debbie. No, I'm just a little low. Okay. <laughs> but I know how to work with that. Steve, thanks for coming tonight. Really you, appreciated your testimony and uh, your encouraging words to all of us. My pleasure. Uh, you could, got me curious about um, artists that you would or would not maybe perform with. I'm wondering if you ever have been invited to play with somebody that you decided, no, you know, that's really not an avenue or an environment or something that I would like to perform in, and then maybe on the flip side of that, is there somebody out there that you haven't played with yet that you'd really like to someday? Yeah, great question. What was your name again? I'm Debbie. Debbie? Yeah. Good to meet and you. And I got two percussionist students at home, too. Good for you. <laughs> um, Who are looking for teachers. Okay, well, that's... that's... <laughs> um, okay, that's a great question. I On... On the surface, I, I want to like immediately say, I'm not going to play with someone who is blasphemous, right? Like, I mean, there are artists out there who are intentionally, provocatively blasphemous about, and they're using their music to spread that. But when I think about it a little longer, I'm like, I do want to hang out with that person. I don't. I certainly don't want to just like, no. If you've got an album that has this many curse words and this many just filthy topics, I don't even want to talk to you because that's not true. I totally want to talk to them. Um, which brings me to the functional, maybe Holy Spirit thing. I just, instead of drawing lines now, like here's who I won't play with and here's who I will, I kind of just wait and see what happens. And when someone invites me to play with them, I, I try to think, okay, should I do this? Not based on some sort of axiom that I came up with before, but right now. Uh, Lord, should I do this? And that seems to help, at least. Uh, I, uh, the other question is, I really, um, I really like playing styles that I have not really done before. I learn a lot about a style of music when I'm looking at it from the inside out, right? when I'm actually doing it instead of just listening to records and stuff. Um, a guy like Michael Buble or Josh Groban. Okay, so the, the, Michael Buble, jazz-leaning. Josh Groban's got a more classical, traditional, operatic vibe. They both will use live bands. And the, the way the drummer's role fits in those kinds of live bands is something that I've never done before. I'd like to work with one of them, maybe both of them. I had, I had the chance to meet Josh Groban not too long ago, and he was a really great guy. That matters uh, I, I don't want to work for a 
a chump. Like some, you know what I mean? Even if his music is cool and everything like that. So maybe, uh, maybe, maybe Josh Groban coming up here. Hopefully somebody's listening tonight, get you the right connection. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Just maybe Josh is tuning into the podcast. <laughs> What's up, Lincoln? Hey, Steve. Good to see you, man. Good to see you. Uh, I met Steve in 2010 back at uh, Trinity Evangelical Free Church in Lakeville when you had Go Fish there in your glow kit, uh, which yeah. is the first time I met you. You had a drum, drum kit that lit up when, like, as you played it. I thought that was mind-blowingly cool. Um, Steve, I, uh, as you know, recently married to my beautiful wife, Emily, um, someone who I extremely respect. Um, as I met you several years ago with Phil, who was a huge mentor to me, ended up being the pastor at a wedding, told me about you. I follow you on Facebook, your blog. I uh, saw that you were a big man of God and then super intrigued on how you were in the secular world. Um, I work full-time for Apple. Um, I'm exposed to a lot of non-faith-based stuff. Um, Apple's very diverse and inclusive and learning how to deal with that as a Christ follower, I feel like we relate in that way. Mm-hmm. The, um, the question I had for you, I was always super curious on how you keep such a strong relationship with your wife and your kids when you have this job that takes you, if, from the outside looking in, seems to take you like all over the world for different periods of time, but yet somehow you have such an individually strong bond with Christ. Also then it looks like with your wife, and then maybe as a couple with Christ as well. And I'm, I'm curious if you can shed some light for me as I'm married for about six months now. Um, maybe what you, could, you could push me in the right way of this is how I was would able to stay strong with my wife yeah. through Christ. Yeah. I don't drum, but I, you know, I do drum. It's not professionally. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, maybe what you could recommend uh, for that. I like that question a lot, Lincoln. Um, I like it for two reasons. Number one, because my... Um, my relationship with Christ and my relationship with my wife and with my kids, it really matters to me. Um, it pumps me up that you want to ask me about that because it feels like you're asking me because you think I'm doing it right. And, and the other reason I'm excited about your question is it gives me an opportunity to say, like, man, appearances are not what they... I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that, like, you know, everything is terrible in my life or something like that, but boy, social networking even, if we're, if we're not hanging out together regularly and the only thing that you know about me is what I post on Facebook, that definitely could be a different version of me than, than the real one. And um, I love my wife so much. 12 years into our marriage, we're still learning about each other. I love Christ so much and having been a Christian my whole life, I'm still learning about that. I would say that specifically, uh, I'm pretty intentional to create time for my family when I'm, when I'm not touring. So the idea that I would go away for weeks at a time immediately presents this like, wow, well, how, how, are you, how can you be a husband and a father when you're gone for that long? And the answer has come in the form of how much time I get to spend with them when I'm not touring. Like I'm the only dad that, that comes for lunchtime at, at school. Like, I'm the only dad in the, in the carpool lane in the afternoon or whatever. I mean, not the only one. There's a few others, but it's just so lopsided, right? And, and with what I do for a living comes those opportunities to be active in my kids' lives, to do things, uh, you know, during the day that a 9-to-5 job wouldn't allow. We, we've learned, Kristen and I have learned that the money that it costs to, for me to fly home in the middle of a tour, even for just like a day off or something, 
or to fly the family out to where we are. Let's say we've got two gigs in a row in New York and a day off on either side of that. If I, the, the money that it costs is well worth it for the, the family time and the cementing that that brings to what the Gould family is. Um, that's like a real specific, you know, example of, of what we're doing. I think the, the broader picture, I gotta keep my eyes on Christ. When I, when I take my, um, I was mentioning the metaphor of playing a game, right? I, I think about reality as having this layer of what seems to be and what is. And as Christians, we, we talk about what is. At least that's our belief, right? God is in control. These factors that seem to be, they're not really the influencers, right? And so I want to play the game that's happening here in, in the level of reality that is, as opposed to seems to be. But the seems to be reality is pulling me all the time. Like, if you, if you take this gig, you're going to make the money that you need to get the, this bill taken care of. And like, oh, but my daughter really wants me to be there for her school thing. Um, I'm asking the Lord, asking the Holy Spirit, I'm asking Jesus to give me discernment and to play life on the level that it is. And uh, I guess that's not a very specific answer, but it's totally where I'm going. And, so, and that, even that, I tell my drum students, being precise is something that you have to remember to do. Like I was spelling out earlier, like being precise and having good timing versus kind of having, being precise as I'm playing is something I have to remember to do. Hitting the drum in the center instead of on the outside, it produces so much of a better sound if I hit it in the center. Hitting it in the center is not instinctual, though. I have to remember to do that. If I try to hit it in the center, I got a way better chance of hitting the center. So it is for me with keeping my eyes on Christ. That's not, some, not something I do instinctively. I have to remember, like, oh, I, I, think, I think honestly that, that I think that was the spirit behind the WWJD bracelets. You know, it's like, keep at the forefront of your mind Christ-likeness and, and how my behavior should, my decision-making and my, my interactions, how should those things be influenced? I got to remember to do that, so I'm trying to get better at that. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Who's up next? Sorry. Okay. Hi, Steve. I'm Paul. Hi, Paul. So my question is actually similar to his, so if you feel like you've answered it, you can, you can tell me that. But um, my question is, when you're on the road, you're in a different city every night, you're away from your wife, you're away from your family, you're away from your church and your normal support and accountability structures, how do you deal with the myriad of temptations that can come when you're on the road and in an environment like that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I haven't found temptations on the road to be more intense than temptations at home. They're different, but it's not like you get out on the, on the road on a tour and there's suddenly like all these unbearable new temptations that I've never experienced before. Like life has temptations, period, for me. So if I'm home in the comfort of my community, my church, regular interaction with my wife, kids, and my friends, and my accountability network, I'm still tempted. <laughs> and I can still make 
terrible decisions. Um, so even there, I, you know, like you said, if, if the answer to the question is to keep my eyes on Christ, like I, I want to say that as the answer, whether I'm on the road or whether I'm not. I will say that I have found great um, rescue, uh, support, uh, fuel, great food in meeting with Christian friends in the different cities that I go to. That's actually one of my favorite parts about touring. Being 34 years old and having gone to college here and high school here and have these friends that do this or whatever, there's somebody that I know in almost every city that we go to because we're not playing in small cities. Most of the time a tour goes through big cities. And I've got some friends there and I can have coffee with them. The day that we're going to play the show, I can have lunch with them or something. and That's really helped me. If I'm in a... Even if I'm in a touring situation with a band like Go Fish, where they're all Christians, it's still... You know, when, when friends get together, there's, there's a lot of benefit that we have when we're with each other as as believers of christ in christ when we when we are together there's just so much fruit to be had there so i try to make that happen that's maybe a specific okay oh i was going to say last question but maybe it won't be (laughs) so i'm interested in the topic of um how a young artist finds his way in the world at the outset and something you said really interested me. So it might be a really dumb question or a naive question about music, but um, you said that your job is to help people, f- or the musician, find their groove, and that's what you're hired to do. And I thought, wow, that's really bringing a lot of value because I thought musicians are just hired to play the music or play the song or whatever the song sheet says. So is that something you knew intuitively right away when you started to be a drummer, that that's the value you bring to the table or bring to the situation or did you learn that as you go along oh yeah this is what people want me to do or how did you discover that if it wasn't intuitive right away that's an awesome question oh good I like that okay um it I definitely learned that along the way uh, like learned it the hard way okay like I here's here's your song that you're hiring me to play with you and I'm using your song as an excuse to do what I want to do that's how I looked at it when I was 20 like what, what I want to do is demonstrate to everybody in the room that I learned this new fill. And so I'm going to force it into whatever song I get hired to play. Like what I want to do is use my new symbol, which doesn't belong in your music, but too bad I got it and I'm pumped to use it and I'm going to bring it. <laughs> and and that, that didn't work very well. And um, I started to become, I guess... It was appealing to me to find what worked more so than to just do what I wanted to do. And I, I mean, I, I hope that doesn't sound like I'm patting myself on the back or something. It just became much more interesting, like problem solving. You know, like, wow, what does this situation need? Of course, if a situation needs something that I can't do, then I got to, you know, go practice that. Um, practicing my, my personal practice time and my personal study of the instrument becomes this journey to equip myself to do whatever it is that I might need to do. Uh, sometimes I'll have my students, you know, doing something. They go, "Why? Why are we doing this?" Like, well, you, 
you might not think that you'll need this because you're familiar with playing music in this environment and this environment, but you're going to get in this other one and you're going to find that it's really useful. If you're thinking about what, what you should do versus what, what you want to do. So it's definitely been a journey and I learned the hard way, luckily young enough that I started to get hired. Um, I, I started to get maybe the reputation People like, oh, if we hire Steve, he's not going to try to just play his thing on my song. If, if somebody says that about me, then I think I'm like, that's the re- re- reputation I want to cultivate. Did I answer your question? Okay, sure. It's a fun one to answer. So, last question. Last question. Last Thank question, you Mark. for being here. My I pleasure. have a son who's been a drummer for two years, and I'm just wondering what your little word of wisdom to young drummers would be from your experience what advice would you have to a young drummer? Oh, Real man. quick. Okay, okay. As quick as, quick as I can. Um, wh- when I was younger, I tried to play as difficult a stuff as I could because I felt like what was impressive, I wanted to be impressive. I, w- I wanted that clown show thing. So I tried to play as difficult a f- stuff as I could. And I realized over time that music revolves around not how complex it is, but how much it communicates to people and how much it it moves them. And so I started to think about the drum set not in terms of complexity or difficulty, but in terms of like effectiveness. Sometimes it's just more effective for me to simply go like this. And let the other people in the band take it, take the moment, and, I, and I'm just doing the kick drum. And sometimes it's more effective for me to do a busier thing than that. But to hear my contribution with the drum set as, a, as an effectiveness thing as opposed to challenging myself with just the complexity of it. I try to tell my students as often as possible, like, think about how powerful music is. It's so great. Not because people are going... But because it's just landing at the right time, somebody plays this chord and it's just so effective and it moves us. Do you, everybody's probably seen the Passion of the Christ in here, that movie. Man, um, there's a moment Jesus is carrying the cross, and his mother is seeing him, and she remembers when he like fell as a young kid, and he falls while he's carrying the cross, and right at that moment, the strings come in, and it just drives it home, and the music right there. Every time I see that movie, it, yes, the, the sentiment of Jesus carrying the cross and stumbling under its weight, that's what the, the, the director is trying to convey, but then he uses the power of music to really take it there. And it's not because, th- that, that moment is not powerful because the violinists are going super fast or super complicated. It's just the right thing at the right time. So that wasn't too... Esoteric for So, Steve, I have something I want to give you in a minute, but you know, most of our speakers do not come and lug a whole drum set. Yeah. So, should we le- let the drum set be the final word? What do you think? Yes? Sure. So, would you like to? <laughs> um, I don't even know what to, what to do now. I've already shown you all my tricks. <laughs> um, the, the drum solo that I did earlier was improvised. And I'm just going to improvise another one. 
and it'll be different because I'm making it up. <laughs> That always happens. I want to come up and give them a gift and then let you applaud crazily, but uh, whatever. Um, you were a little nervous when you started, but I thought you did fabulously. So uh, we've got a little gift for you, Steve, and it's a piece of granite that says, with thanks to Steve Gould for bringing faith to life. And we are so glad you were here. Thanks for being with My us. Goodness. Thank you.